This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're exploring how businesses organized outside the European Union can comply with the general data protection regulation that comes into force May 25, 2018. The GDPR, this uh, regulation that becomes binding law throughout the European Union, uh, very deliberately, uh, in some ways, as specified, says that it's applicable to businesses that are not in the European Union. So it's extraterritorial. There's been a flood of advice about how to comply globally with the GDPR. Some is overstated, some is understated. Uh, but uh, a lot of the advice comes from various technology and other service providers that are marketing their solutions uh, to upgrade cybersecurity, to manage data, to how to store it, to how to deal with data flows, uh, this sort of thing. These offerings uh, can all be very helpful or even essential. But in general, a lot of the advice about uh, the top five steps or the top seven tips or the 12 steps, uh, all sorts of different ways of describing how to comply with the GDPR. A lot of these can be really quite costly and, uh, and partial. And what we're going to do here in this podcast is to talk about how a business outside the European Union can determine if it's uh, liable potentially under the GDPR for what it's doing with personal data and then what you can do about it. Well, the first action is to do a data inventory. Figure out what personal data of persons in the European Union a non-European business holds or uses. What does it have access to? What does it actually process, to use the word uh, of the GDPR, process of personal data? Article 3.2 of the regulation says very clearly that it applies to the processing of personal data of data subjects, that means people who are in the union, that's the wording used, by a controller or a processor that isn't established in the union in two cases. The first case is when the processing activities are related to the offering of goods or services irrespective of whether a payment from the individuals required uh, to data subjects in the union. So if a business is deliberately trying to uh, sell goods and services throughout the uh, European Union, it's covered. And as we talked about in the prior podcast, that doesn't mean just having a website that uh, a European person happens to visit, but really making an effort to offer and sell goods or services to people in the European Union. The second uh, way in which a non-European business is very clearly subject to the GDPR, at least in the views of the European Union, are if the non-European business is monitoring the behavior of persons in the Union as far as their behavior takes place within the Union. So people are trying to figure out how to market to the Union and, and are looking at individuals' uh, personal data. Uh, people who are analyzing how people in the European Union uh, behave or act, uh, 
uh, by use and looking at their personal data, they're clearly subject under Article 3.2, and they, and they could be a controller or a processor or both uh, in those instances. Well, note that this excludes an awful lot of people. Uh, take a uh, U.S. multinational company that has a large workforce and has uh, 10, 15, 20, uh, 100 employees uh, in different places throughout the world, uh, some of whom are in Europe. Uh, the, the U.S. headquarters probably wants to know who these employees are. They may make payments to them. They may be part of a, a global plan of deferred compensation or something else. They may get uh, newsletters from the company and so on and so forth. So uh, that, that's not a company that's offering goods or services in Europe necessarily, and it may not be monitoring behavior. So how are these people affected? And, and the answer is that there's a whole chapter of the GDPR, it's called Chapter 5, that deals with transfers of personal data outside of the European Union to third countries or to international organizations. So one has to become familiar with Articles 44 through 50 of the GDPR to figure out whether, if you're not directly subject under 3.2, Article 3.2, uh, do you have to comply with GDPR because of Chapter 5? So any transfer of personal data outside of the European Union is addressed by uh, Articles 44 through 50. So to stay with our example, uh, let's say a U.S. headquarters of a multinational company uh, has some uh, people uh, who uh, apply to it to be hired uh, for a position in Europe or somewhere else, and in comes these resumes, and they have all sorts of personal data where the person grew up, uh, what university uh, they attended, uh, and so on, uh, a lot of personal data. Uh, well, that's personal data about persons in the union, no question about that. It came maybe unsolicited or through a recruiter. And the U.S. headquarter uh, HR person uh, may, is going to be involved probably in taking a look at it and responding to it and so on. So there's going to be some processing of data. Now, the mere receipt of the application is uh, carries with it uh, implicit uh, permission to, to look at the data and to respond, of course. But what happens if the employee, uh, the person turns into an employee, gets hired and let's say is posted in, uh, in a sales rep office in France uh, or a clerical position in, uh, in, in London. The UK is still part of the EU. Brexit hasn't happened yet. I'm speaking to you in April 2018. Well, that's where Chapter 5 clearly comes into play. And a transfer of that in, uh, uh, personal data outside of the EU to, in this case, the United States, our example, can occur only if the conditions of Chapter 5 are, quote, complied with by the controller and processor, including for onward transfers, close quote, from the non-EU country. And there are specific listed ways uh, in Article 44 by which the transfer can be proper under the GDPR. So let's look at these different ways. Uh, well, the first and cleanest and simplest is if the European Union has made what we call an adequacy decision about the third country. Do, does the non-European country 
have privacy rules for personal data that are adequate. And what the EU means by that is, do they, do they handle it comparably to how the GDPR does? As of mid-April 2018, there are 12 jurisdictions that have received a finding of adequacy decision. These countries are Andorra, or jurisdictions, are Andorra, Argentina, Canada for commercial organizations, the Faroe Islands, Guernsey, Israel, Isle of Man, Jersey, New Zealand, Switzerland, and Uruguay. And the United States only to the extent that companies sign up for the EU-US Privacy Shield uh, system that we're going to talk about in the next podcast. Uh, the U.S. doesn't qualify as an adequate jurisdiction from Europe's perspective because the U.S. does not have a, an overarching federal personal data privacy protection law and a privacy officer in the president's cabinet and so on. Um, it, it simply doesn't. Uh, the U.S. has really quite comparable privacy uh, protections in the healthcare area. We're familiar with HIPAA and uh, increasingly in the financial area, but uh, not, not overall. And with Facebook and mothers in the news about this, it's, it's pretty obvious here. There are differences between how the U.S. treats data privacy of people and how the GDPR treats it. So a, a U.S. business can look to the privacy shield adjoining it, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode, but, but how else can it comply without joining the privacy shield available? Well, Article 47 lists one of the ways, and this is called binding corporate rules. What is that? Well, a U.S. business can adopt binding corporate rules for handling the personal data of persons in the European Union, and then agree with an affiliated European Union controller or simply commit on its own through these binding corporate rules to comply with the rules of the GDPR. Now that's going to include providing effective legal remedies for e EU persons whose data is being, uh, uh, whose data are being reviewed, processed by the uh, U.S. company in our example. And uh, those rules are specified under Article 46.1 of the GDPR. Now there's a second technique available, short of joining the privacy shield, and that is to adopt standard, to use and adopt standard data protection clauses. Now these are uh, uh, clauses written by the European uh, Commission and issued in multiple languages, including English, and if a business outside the EU can simply adopt them as privacy policy and procedures and bind themselves to them, to these rules, uh, but the business has to adopt them exactly as they're worded and in full. This is a second alternative. This probably is the cheapest way uh, to comply with GDPR without choosing one of the other alternatives because the, the language is all provided. Now, many businesses have chosen not to do that because you have to adopt them in full exactly as they're written, and, and a lot of businesses don't, don't want to do that. But this, this is a technique available that would allow a business, assuming it follows these uh, clauses and actually enforces them, 
and gives uh, su data subjects the right to have recourse, uh, it's, a, it's a way for a non-EU business to, to deal with this problem. Well, what if a non-EU business doesn't want to join a privacy shield if it's a U.S. business and doesn't want to use binding corporate rules or standard data protection clauses? Well, the GDPR has a couple of other ways that uh, can be available uh, to comply with the GDPR. One is if a, an industry group has a code of conduct uh, under Article 40, or if there's a certification mechanism under Article 42. Now these are pretty, pretty new provisions really under GDPR and uh, so far in, in April 2018, there, uh, there aren't uh, a lot of industry sectors that have stepped forward and created codes of conduct or certification mechanisms that have been developed. But this is very probably uh, underway right now because it's going to be a way for uh, whole groups of uh, businesses uh, within, an, within an industry sector uh, to comply with a code of conduct or certification mechanism. Uh, without having either a governmental agreement like the Privacy Shield or adopting binding corporate rules or standard data protection clauses. So it's going to take some time for these to develop, but that, that's built into the GDPR also. Absent one of these four approaches, that is binding corporate rules, standard data protection clauses, uh, uh, signing up for a code of conduct, or a certification mechanism, a U.S. business can instead join the Privacy Shield if it wants to. Now the Privacy Shield is a governmental agreement between the United States and the European Union that allows for transfers of EU personal data to the United States for those who sign up for it. Now warning, it's, it's already been challenged in the EU courts and people in this area are aware that the safe harbor, uh, which is a lot like the privacy shield in, in what it's intended to do, was uh, rejected by the European Court of Justice. That's a safe harbor was worked out between the United States and the European Union to deal with things prior to the GDPR. And it was ruled uh, uh, not valid by the uh, ECJ and so uh, no longer could be used. Uh, we'll see if the Privacy Shield survives the court challenge. Um, but there are already thousands of U.S. businesses that have signed up for the U.S. Uh, European Union and also the Swiss, they, they're very similar, a Privacy Shield. Um, rather than going through the binding corporate rules, the standard data protection clauses, or in the absence of a code of conduct or certification mechanism. So this is already uh, uh, in full swing. And the next data privacy detectives uh, inquiry is going to be about this privacy shield. What does it mean? How does it work? And does it, it makes sense for a U.S. business uh, to sign up for it. Well, I hope that gives you a summary of how a non-European business can comply with the GDPR. And uh, next time we'll look at this privacy shield uh, uh, idea and what it really entails. Remember that protecting your data privacy begins with you.